and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarians Corner for The Damned United. Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-host and friend, my co-pilot down the path of the contrary, Julio Oliveira. Julio, how are you doing this evening? I thought we were done with sports, Alex. I thought we were done with sports for a while. And you just, you dragged me back in. Actually, it wasn't you. I was about to say. (laughs) Yeah. It was, well, okay, it was you a little bit because uh, this is a, a patron pick as as it is the tradition with our bonus episodes every month. Mm-hmm. And uh, said patron, he gave us four options and it was you. I put it up to you. I said, Alex has the power because I'm good with any of these. And you went with the sports movie. So in a way, it was you. Do you recall what the other ones were? Because I remember my motivation being like, this one sounded the most interesting out of the ones I had not seen yet. So it was, uh, I know the one that you rejected outright, which was uh, Tim Burton's musical, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd, yes, I do remember <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> That's the one that you said. I can tell you right away, no to that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a Pacino. Uh, was it Dog Day Afternoon? I believe so, which is a great movie. Don't get me wrong. I haven't seen it. So, and then uh, the final one was called Chum Scrubber, which neither of us even knew about. I don't even know what a Chum Scrubber is. Yeah, <laughs> I remember us reading about it, but um, yeah, I mean, sports and all. Uh, it's not your traditional American sports, which is good uh, for <laughs> us expanding our horizons. <laughs> I was curious in this movie they in the title cards at the end they refer to it as soccer a few times i'm like isn't that kind of sacrilege but um, <laughs> is it yeah, it's football i mean it, growing up i yeah it was football to me but I, I i thought that in you know the rest of the world it was that's how you differentiate it it's like football and soccer well i prefer to call the nfl and things of that sorts American football. Uh-huh. That's what we call it in, in Peru. <laughs> yeah. That's well, cause it's, it seems, uh, if I can do anything to be less American and just completely like <laughs> xenophobic, then, you know, and I was, I was just saying, I was surprised to see that at the end, but it was, um, a returning director who we have a rather tumultuous relationship with your um, nemesis. Yeah. 
and it was something neither of us had seen with some actors we were familiar with and thought it had the the greatest uh chances of i don't know making an impact so to speak so yes we're here today to discuss tom hooper's 2009 the damned united starring wesley snipes himself michael sheen (laughs) timothy spall return champion timothy spall that's right baby uh colm meany how i've i never know how to pronounce that dude's first name okay so i've heard i I always thought it was colm because that's Uh that's how you read it right and then i've heard people say colm yeah that can make sense too i can't argue with that because i really don't know any better uh colm meany from uh star trek fame that's what i know him from i'm curious you probably know him as just like a, a, a that guy right yeah he's a he's a big that guy yeah, he's uh, Chief O'Brien on uh, Star Trek: Next Generation and uh, Deep Space Nine. He was in charge of the transporter. I remember he was in Con Air. Right, his uh, his license plate, the ass kicker. I'm trying to remember. There's something else. Yes, I'm going through his filmography right now, and I was trying to figure out what it was. It's uh, Get Him to the Greek. He plays Aldous Snow's dad. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good movie, but he's good in it. <laughs> Poor Colmini, an actor with a filmography that probably hits the hundreds. And, uh, <laughs> and that's going to be the, the thing that he'll be remembered for. Uh, probably not, but it's something that I recall. Uh, he was in Layer Cake also, which that when that movie came out, I was in college, and that was like a huge, like, oh, have you seen Layer Cake yet? Not to always make this comparison, but it's like, Layer Cake is, is Guy Ritchie without Guy Ritchie. <laughs> I think that was it. A bunch of people that were 18 were watching it and like, oh, man, this is crazy. World bending. And then it looks like he was in an episode of MacGyver in 1991 as Dr. Irwin Malcolm, which that's just fantastic. He goes way back. Colomini, we're talking about him like he's the lead in this movie. <laughs> I mean, he has one he's of the He's the most, driving force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the, the motivation of the of our protagonist. Um. Yeah, Michael Sheen, who I've never seen in a leading role before. That was kind of impressive to see. Uh, memorable as always. And I'm pretty much done calling him Michael Sheen. He will be Wesley Snipes for all of our 30 Rock fans out there. Julio, who um, who brought this across our desk? Which one of our wonderful patrons threw this it, our way? It is Ben. Ben from Film Busters, also known as Film Busters Ben. He... He just demanded it. He said, it's my turn. And you, okay, to be fair, and I think we might have discussed this in the previous episode, uh, he went easy on us, this one in the sense that he gave us those four choices that we talked about. Where he got stern is in the the patron exclusive pick, because that's where he didn't give us any options. He just said, you guys are doing the the first two episodes of the Sex and the City reboot, relaunch. Mm-hmm. And, and then, but when it came to the main feed, he was like, okay, you guys can do one of these four. I think, and we'll go more in 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 depth in this uh, or the second half in real talk. But uh, I think he likes this one. Uh, yeah, I'm curious to see what his thoughts are about it. So, I mean, he's we'll- British, and this is a movie about British sports people. <laughs> yes, that, that's a that's a way of putting it. <laughs> I imagine that he he takes pride on it. I don't know. Uh, I, I do know that Ben likes sports. I've I've heard there's times where and on on their show like him and Adam will start talking about sports and you can hear Paul's eyes just glazing over. 
So I I think that this is probably a movie that Ben enjoys, and he sends us. Uh, he sent me a lot of uh, messages about it that I haven't mm-hmm. read because I'm saving those for real talk. So we, like I said, we'll we'll go in depth on Ben's opinions and ours, our real opinions, in the second half of the show. All right, so Ben from Filmbusters, one of our wonderful patrons, has brought this across our desk. He threw it down. He said, get to work. He gave us 44 days, and if we don't do a good enough job in that time, he will can us. Uh, He said, it's on Tubi. Get to it. Exactly. We'll explain a little bit more about our patron in our second half, but that leads us to going ahead and explaining what it is we do here, why the even thought of someone paying us to do a movie would exist. Uh, If this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, you're probably asking yourself that question. And what we do here on The Contrarians is rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. We will find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as certified fresh. And what we'll do is make a case for maybe why that uh, rating doesn't tell the whole story, so to speak. Maybe why that percentage doesn't uh, belong. Sometimes movies we cover uh, will feel have... uh, some poor acting, some poor narrative choices, bad screenwriting, the score is a bit off. Just things that, in general, we feel critics swept under the rug in favor of giving it a, one of those delicious intellectual properties, one of those trademarked logos, the certified fresh. Um, conversely, we'll find a film on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which we usually shoot about 30% and below, one of those nasty green splotches known as Rotten, and as you would have guessed, argue for the positive merit in that film, under-celebrated acting, uh, bold direction or storytelling choices, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All in an attempt to say that uh, art is subjective. You can be as over the moon about something as you want to be or as cold and cynical uh, if you have your heart set to it as you can be. And also that Rotten Tomatoes doesn't always tell the whole story. Uh, being that the Damned United is 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, we will, in the first portion of this, uh, known as Contrarian's Corner, be making an argument against it and pointing out its flaws, errors, and foibles, which isn't typically hard to do in a Tom Hooper film. (laughs) Uh, Now, Julio, we talked a little bit about uh, how this is our first time watching it, so naturally, uh, if someone's listening to this, they might be curious how we really feel about it. And if that's the case, they just have to tune in to part two, the second half of this podcast. That's correct. Part two, aptly titled Real Talk, is where we tell you how we really feel about the movie, regardless of its Rotten Tomatoes score. We just drop the gimmick, and we are fully honest about our feelings, uh, not just with the audience, but with each other. Going into Real Talk, I have no idea how Alex feels about The Damn United. Alex has no idea how I feel about The Damn United. But Alex and listeners know how I feel about sports in general, so... Maybe that can give you a hint about my how I reacted to this uh, one hour and forty four minute epic one, about soccer. One slash hour and thirty seven minutes. Thirty seven. Well, it felt like forty four. All right, ninety two percent. As I mentioned, Julio, um, pretty positive reception to this, at least critically. The second half, we'll uh, discuss some of the reaction to it from a historical standpoint. Uh, but critically, it received several nominations, uh, several Satellite Award nominations, British Independent Film Award for uh, Jim Broadbent, ALFS Award. For Jim uh, Broadbent? Jesus. I know. They were digging deep <laughs> to find somebody to give an award to in this one. The London Film Critics Circle, uh, Timothy Spall, Best Supporting Actor, which 
and uh, Michael Sheen got a satellite award. Timothy Spall got a supporting actor. Uh, these were all nominations. They didn't come through. And then Writers Guild of Great Britain uh, nominated uh, Peter Morgan for Best Feature Screenplay. So that's all in an effort to say people liked it. <laughs> what exactly were the folks that are qualified to post on Rotten Tomatoes? What were they saying about it? Oh, the critics. I, and I wish I could tell which of these are British critics versus just American critics. But e- either way, they're, they're all fresh quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website. Uh, we'll start with Simon Murado from QuickFlix, who says, If soccer is a Shakespearean drama, then the damned United is Richard III. <laughs> okay. I don't even know what that means. I don't either. Would you call soccer Shakespearean? Would you call any sport Shakespearean? Uh, this is where I think our separation of passion for sports is definitely <laughs> uh, separated. Because, yes. You call like, wrestling Shakespearean? Well, that's different because it's written and scripted. But, it, like, in a like, there's plenty of, like, examples I could bring up of boxing or, you know, mixed martial arts that play out in a Shakespearean nature. <laughs> and American football and football both, man... <laughs> yeah, there, there's some definite emotion and passion that goes into it that would make some of the great playwrights be like, God damn it, why didn't I think of that? Moving on, Simon Foster from sbs.com.australia.au. Uh, Morgan, Hooper, and Sheen have crafted a moving, funny, and loving tribute to the spirit of a man who effortlessly defined the spirit of the greatest sport ever. Hmm. Greatest sport ever. I mean, I don't know. I've never heard soccer be called that oof brother <laughs> really we, we, another hanging out with the right people well just since we have a unusual large contingent of european and uh australian i don't know if football means as much to them um i mean alex i came from south america like we we take soccer seriously but i don't think that we take it as seriously as to say that it's the greatest sport ever no you're you're not as crazy as those brits man uh, <laughs> apparently no, there's, I mean, if I would probably say like boxing is the greatest sport ever because it's like the sport of man. It was invented as as long as men have been standing upright. But uh, there's there's nothing to. It's always funny to me because Americans, you know, the NFL is is a powerhouse, and they do every season do those international games in London and um, etc. And they draw because it's kind of an attraction. And American football does have international viewers. But then every four years when the World Cup comes around, everyone is reminded what the number one sport in the world is. And that's <laughs> soccer, and it's not even fucking close. Okay, so we're talking about money. We're talking about just... Which I guess makes no, sense. I'm talking it's, about eyeballs. Like, the amount I mean, of people that watch it and engage in it. Right, but but the reason that we know about those eyeballs is because of the, the money that they produce, I guess, you know, for the sport. And I think there's something to say of... You know, soccer is the sport that has a World Cup that is the most competitive, and I think that speaks to how it's the most universal sport. Yeah, there's, like, people that play American football in different countries, and baseball, obviously, like, baseball's gigantic in Japan, uh, but that's, and it's like basketball, too. There's no basketball World Cup, because all the U.S. teams would just trounce all of them. When it's in the... <laughs> Olympics and shit. That's how it usually plays out. It's just what I'm trying to say is 
you would find a lot of people, a lot more people that agree with that sentiment internationally than you would think. All right, next, Joe Williams from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Two things that the British know that most Americans don't. Michael Sheen is the best actor in the English-speaking world, and soccer is the only football that matters. It's getting out of control, Alex. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I I like both things, but that's like that's something I would tweet like about <laughs> wrestling or something. Two things that most Americans do know. Hulk Hogan is the best wrestler in the world, and wrestling is the only sport that matters. Jesus. I mean, Timothy Spall is in the same fucking movie. (laughs) Has he, did Michael Sheen, has he done anything like huge that he got a bunch of notoriety for uh, domestically? No. (laughs) I mean, that's the the thing. That's the the story of of Michael Sheen is that he is uh, the lesser Sheen. He's not Martin Sheen. He's not Charlie Sheen. He's not even Emilio Estevez. But but he's cursed with the last name that puts a lot of pressure on him. And so far, he hasn't lived up to it. He's like Adam Baldwin. You know, he's not really a Baldwin. But still, when you see his name, you expect the greatness of the Baldwins to come from him. I forgot he was in the Twilight movies. Yep. That's right. Yep. I'm sure he really regrets that from a financial perspective. <laughs> Because I won't eat and won't sleep until I've taken whatever that man's achieved and beaten it. All right, so released on March 27th of 2009, The Damned United had a budget of $10 million. I believe this is the worldwide box office return was just over $4 million. So regarded as a box office bomb. However, like we said, critics were making... <laughs> Especially those on Rotten Tomatoes that accumulated that 92% were making insanely hyperbolic claims about it. (laughs) The consensus on Rotten Tomatoes reads, Better than your average football pick, Damned United is carried by another star turn from Michael Sheen as Brian Cloth. Alex, I looked. I looked everywhere for a quote that said, The Damned United is damn good. And I couldn't find it. Oh, what a shame. It starts off with one of their uh, soccer chants, soccer anthems, whatever the proper vernacular is. That reminded me of, um, you know, Oasis, the Gallagher brothers are diehard Man City, Manchester City. And then there's also Manchester United. Are you familiar of these football clubs? Have you ever heard of either of these? Uh, My wife brings up uh, Manu every now and then. I can't remember if she's a fan or if she is... uh, a foe <laughs> if it, for i'm sure there's some listening that understand it but for those that don't uh noel gallagher did hot ones once and talked about like it's not like a joke to them and it's not like like even as tribal as american football seems it's a completely different level like he just talks about you're you're born either a man city or a man united person man you and that's it like you can't change it <laughs> and it's it's just hearing him speak about it and they're like diehard uh man city and when i saw noel gallagher in concert i walked in before like the show had started and i geeked out just because you know his amp had a man city uh flag draped over it and anyway the whole point is when this opened with the there's a uh, soccer chant about you know it was to the tune of glory glory hallelujah uh when they used to play shows in like manchester and shit they would do who the fuck is Man United? <laughs> they would 
lead the crowd in that, you know, the crowd would be split. <laughs> oh, stuff. God. Dude, this is why I left Peru. Just the, the fanatism. I, I just, that's my first note. It's like, ugh, soccer. It, I, I just, I, I mean, I'm sorry. This, it, there's no way the band could have known this. Like this movie was never going to stand a chance with me, regardless of quality, just because of the the culture that is, that just envelops it from beginning to end. And uh, you know, the only way that I could have maybe have liked this movie if it would be if it was actively making fun of football fans, but soccer fans even. Uh, but that's not what it is. <laughs> this is very much about like how we have an uh, American movie like that with Patton Oswalt called Big Fan. That it makes, but it's that's like a dark comedy, right? Yes, but it it calls out what you're saying. It's like the insanity that some of these fans, the levels they'll stoop to. But there was a, a Peruvian soap opera called, uh, I guess, it translates to uh, Street Street Tribes, which was about. Basically, the, the two big soccer teams in Peru are uh, uh, Universitario and Alianza Lima, or at least th- that that was they were the two big ones when I was you know when I lived there, and uh, and, and they were you know tribal, <laughs> like the, the fans <laughs> they would go and just they get violent and they get rowdy and they would be a danger to society all in the name of a sport. Was and, that the uh, uh, Peruvian? version or remake of uh, Green Street Hooligans? I mean, it would be the... the I, I think it predates Green Street Hooligans. Oh. But, you know, it just shows that we are all, we're all so much alike across the world. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, this is... From the beginning, I just knew this movie was not for me. And, and I'm like, all right, well, do what you can, Michael Sheen. But I've seen your movies before, and it's not like you were the tipping point on whether I liked it or not. So, good luck, my friend. We are in Leeds, Leeds United. Uh, After failing to qualify for the 1974 FIFA World Cup, England manager Alf Ramsey is replaced by Don Revy. This is Cole Meany, the highly successful manager of Leeds United. Revy's replacement at Leeds is Brian Cloth, Michael Sheen, the former manager of Derby County. And a fierce critic of Leeds because of their violent and physical style of play under Reverie's management. Furthermore, Kloss' longtime assistant, Peter Taylor, this is our boy Timothy Spall, has not joined him. Uh, so this movie jumps back and forth with timelines. But, Julio, for the sake of our coverage here, let's save all the historical accuracy and, you know, what actually happened and any and all knowledge of this for the second half and just cover this as the movie is. We can cover it as if it was fiction. Yes. Okay. And what that does from a movie perspective is Tom Hooper is not subtle. I think we've talked about that before. (laughs) We we've seen, we've discussed the King speech uh, and he just spends the opening salvo here, the opening the length of the opening credits of the Watchmen. Uh, <laughs> he just spends the opening stanza here establishing that Wesley Snipes, uh, Brian Cloth is just a real cocky son of a bitch. And we've talked about in movies. You can accomplish shit in one line. And if you just had some kind of quip or something, you would catch that. But wh- I mean, were you already seeing this of like, okay, is this going to be the Michael Sheen show? I mean, clearly. And I mean, you know, it, part of me can't blame the guy because you're right. I, I haven't really, 
I can't think of other Michael Sheen vehicles. I think maybe the closest is uh, the Queen because he plays uh, he plays Tony Blair, the the Prime Minister in that one. But really, the Queen is the real star there. I mean, that's why she. I think I'm pretty sure uh, she got an Oscar nomination for that. Uh, Helen Mirren. Mm-hmm. So so I mean, even that, which is kind of like maybe his most high profile work uh before this i mean that's uh it's not the the michael sheen show and then what else he was in frost nixon same thing that is the recently canceled frank langella uh show and uh, not you know people remember his langella's turn as nixon more than they remember sheen's turn as as frost and and so on so here it is. Like they give him the opportunity to be the big cheese with no competition. It's like this is you, and hair piled high, baby. <laughs> yes, put on that smile. Here's pages and pages of dialogue. Have at it, man. You've earned it. Show the world that you can. You can be the next Avenger. And uh, I mean, you know, he goes for it. it wouldn't you? <laughs> It's, the result is a little overwhelming. It, I, he, he come across as a tryhard, but uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I I I couldn't say that I wouldn't do the same thing if I was an actor and I was finally given a role where the attention is going to be a hundred percent on me uh, mm-hmm. most of the time. Uh, I think that it wouldn't be a problem if there was more meat to the character, but he is uh, he's all show. Like at some point, Timothy Spall tells him, "Yeah, you're the razzle dazzle." And, and I'm the real deal. And I couldn't agree more. I was like, you know, the, the movie should have been about Timothy Spall. We go back six years earlier, 1968, and we learn that Cloth uh, has a deep-rooted rivalry. He's got a Roxena-esque rivalry with... Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Leeds United, as he was the manager of Darby County, um, <laughs> who they played in different divisions, and so... This is where we get kind of our American sports fans can see this kind of as the the seeding that they do for, um, you know, different types of tournaments and things of that nature, especially in the college realm. It's already lost. It's like, I don't know what the divisions are. I don't know why (laughs) they pick some. Like, I know the basics of a draft, but so what they did was they they pick one of the shittiest. This looked like, like, which is. Yeah, well, like. Seeding in college football, typically, like especially when they do March Madness and shit, it's like first versus sixteenth, mm-hmm. second versus fifteenth, and then there's a game like in the middle that's like the you know two evenly matched teams. Uh, that's where the you know bracket buster phrase comes from. But with this in, in this particular case, this looked more of like a lottery type drawing, and hopefully one of our English sports fans can educate us on this. But basically, it looks like what happened is um, the shitty team in the second division, being Darby County, gets to play. Um, Leeds, and so it's this big, huge, like happening that Leeds United is going to come to their town, and uh, there's a funny line I wrote down here of the groundskeepers taking care of the field, and Michael Sheen says to him, "You know, we want this to look good for when they get here," and he's like, "Okay, well then you can't fucking train on it," <laughs> uh, and so then it shows them like in different parts of the town training and whatnot. But Alex, um, here, here's a challenge for you. Name one single player in the Derby team. Okay, I don't know. The, the only players that we really get highlighted are um, fuck you, can't. Giles and <laughs> Bremner, but they play for Leeds. Yeah, yeah, no Leeds. Yeah, because Leeds has uh, you know uh, 
the guy from Snatch on it. So you get at least Stephen Graham. Yeah, Stephen Graham. Uh, but yeah, there, there's nobody. And I was thinking, what a waste of uh, not casting. There's no. Uh, there's no Chris Pratt. <laughs> there's no Chris Pratt. <laughs> well, I was thinking, um, you know, who would be perfect in this movie? And I don't know what his agent was like, asleep at the wheel or what. But uh, this is a, a, a movie for Ewan Bremer, who you know we know from uh, in the, on this show. We've talked about him on um, Snowpiercer. He's the guy that loses mm-hmm. his arm. Yes, you know, and uh, you know he's in Train Spotting. He's he's in a whole bunch of movies. He always shows up. He's like he's that guy, in, you know, in uh, European British movies with the you know wacky attitude. You know, he would have been a memorable player. I I couldn't tell you a single thing about the players in the uh, in Derby because it's all about fucking Michael Sheen, uh, you know, the razzle dazzle guy. <laughs> but also, as much as I appreciate the relevance of the Rock Cena comparison. This is more as if The Rock had never engaged Cena. Like, if Cena had been talking <laughs> about him for years and The Rock had never really acknowledged the, the feud. Uh, because it's pretty one-sided. Fair enough. And that's what plays in here is um, Revy pays no mind to Cloth as he comes to Derby. Uh, they beat them, and this so begins like this losing streak that they have... Uh, and he did all this work of aiming to impress. He cleaned up the, the clubhouse and, you know, made everything as presentable as possible. Got this nice bottle of wine that they would share afterwards. And he didn't so much as shake his hand. And uh, it comes out, he says, I'm going to beat him if it's the last thing I do. So sets Brian Cloth on this lifelong mission to do whatever he can to defeat Colmini. <laughs> if this was a musical, this would be his I Want song. Exactly. So they're going to do what they can to rebuild their team. They start by acquiring a veteran for their team, Dave McKay. And that this is just like the fucking David Justice discussion yep. in Moneyball, where it's just like, he's 150. Uh, and they go to sign him. They go to his house. They show up there, and they're like, hey, can we talk to you? He, he makes a note. He said it's illegal to sign anybody on the Sabbath, which I'm very curious if that's legitimate or not. I thought... That was more interesting than anything else that was happening. <laughs> and of course, there's a follow up. It, it never, it never comes back up again. I thought it was going to be one of those uh, Jerry Maguire situations where last minute this guy signs with someone else. And he's like, "Sorry, I gave you my word, but there's no paper, there's no signature." Hey, you know, I don't do contracts, but what you do have is my word, and it's stronger than oak. So they sign Mackay, they explain to him, yeah, we, we need you just as kind of like the guy who's, you know, directing traffic on the field, using him as a, a vet for his knowledge. Um, fuck, Timothy Spall calls his head his loaf, he said, so he can be out there and use his loaf and help the younger players. <laughs> just thought that was fantastic. So we, we're restructuring the team, we get some other new blood in there. We go to a montage, uh, and this something I just have never cared for. And it really bothers me. In this montage, we mix real footage of the happenings with like spliced in shots of Michael Sheen reacting to it. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. 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 And it's like the fucking Happy Gilmore thing where it's just showing their name rising up. You know, all it's missing is someone just taking it off the hook and then moving it up more. That's also in the Homer They Fall episode of The Simpsons where <laughs> Homer's rising through the local boxing ranks and just like boxcar Joe is someone that he gets ranked <laughs> over. And in this case, though, I, I really don't like the 
fucking with historical footage thing. Uh, in my case, it's, it's one of those like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because I'll be honest with you, uh, if they had actually expanded those, you know, instead of historical footage, they'd given us five to ten minutes of an actual match, like a soccer match, I would have been bored out of my mind. But then they do this, and I feel like it's cheating because even though I don't, I wouldn't care for it. I'm like, people came to watch this movie because they're soccer fans, and you're cheating them out of the soccer. I don't care about the reaction shots of Michael Sheen. I want to see this team play but of course in order for anyone to be invested in how that team plays you have to know the players and like we've already established we don't know the players because the movie doesn't care for the team they just care about michael sheen so yeah either way there's a mess tom hooper i mean there's no surprise that this was i'm assuming (laughs) the last sports movie he ever directed and then he just went on to do the artsy fartsy stuff i don't feel like his heart is in it well yeah it's definitely phoned in at least through this he's just like all right I get 90 seconds off of making anything. I can just I can get Michael Sheener for some B-roll. Stick him in front of the green screen. And see what we can do here. This is uh, interwoven with his first day at work at uh, Leeds United. He comes in and he cuts a big promo about, you know, I'm here to make a difference and we're going to play clean football and, you know, talking about how they're not going to be what they were before. He's there. To, he's got like a revisioning for him. And they are just having absolutely none of it. So this is uh, okay, a little bit of real talk, but it's also, I mean, I guess relevant to Contrarian's Corner. I, so in my mind, my limited knowledge of sports in general around the world and all that stuff, I always thought that uh, like the violent sport was hockey. You know, as in like, oh, hockey is where you get fucked up like on a regular basis. And then, well, it is <laughs> right. And then, like I thought, soccer. If you get injured in soccer. It's, like, it's an accident, you know, like if you get injured in basketball or whatever. Uh, Soccer's a brutal sport, dude. I I mean, clearly, the way they played in England, but I thought, because see, I thought that, that rugby was the violent sport in in England. Well, rugby, like, just from a rules perspective and the way the game is played requires a certain a bit of, like, I don't want to say grappling, but... Like in soccer, you can't just walk up to someone and like put their ha- your hands on their shoulders and like push them around and shit like that. Well, I mean, and, according to this movie, you can get pretty close. Oh well, this is definitely one of those movies that, like, you know, whether he wants to or not, Tom Hooper's instilling the ah, these fuckers used to be actually tough. Now, you know, <laughs> who's the Michael Beckham and all the types? They they're just the pretty boys. They don't have the the grit, the <laughs> the plums to make it back in the old days. Uh but yeah, so rugby has a different rule set, and it's a lot more physical in the sense of like actually scrambling and doing crazy tackles and shit like that. Whereas I think this is just the game hadn't quite evolved yet. I mean, as you can see, the stadium like where Leeds plays is nice, and I think they play at Wembley at the beginning of the the movie. But um, this was still the down and dirty days of the sport. This is before Vince McMahon took the sport out of the smoky bingo halls and into the bright lights. Okay, I didn't realize that there was a, that there were different eras of soccer. <laughs> because it just it, I, I was having a really hard time wrapping my head around the idea that uh, that this team is famous for playing dirty and yet there's no repercussions and that then when a new manager comes on and says, all right, well, enough with this. We're going to play the way we're supposed to play. Uh, the team is openly defiant about it and there's no consequences. Yeah, and to be completely 
fair. Like all sports are like that. It's just a matter of them evolving and getting, you know, endorsements and sponsorship deals and TV time and shit like that. That's not gentrified or cleaned up because there's still, you know, all kinds of dirty players in all sports. Um, but it's not the game of, you know, grit, so to speak, as much as it used to be. And that that's not just exclusive to soccer. For Christ's sakes, in hockey and football, they used to not wear helmets. So it's um, it's the natural progression of it all. But yes, you can find, Julio, if you cared enough, you could find football teams, basketball teams, baseball teams that were notable for some more underhanded techniques. I guess, I guess that's the key. Like you said, if, if you cared enough, <laughs> yeah. I don't. <laughs> but yeah, they're not having any of it. He tries to, you know, scrimmage with them. They check him fucking hard and just he kind of like kitchen sinks him is what the wrestling term would be, where he digs his knee into his abdomen and like kind of the inside of his thigh and just flips him over. And I think <laughs> at this point they don't Tom Hooper for all his lack of subtlety. What this movie's trying to tell you on the first day is that he's in over cloth is in over his head. And but Hooper frames it as this kind of, you know, fucking stand and deliver type thing of he'll win him over yet. You know, just wait for it. <laughs> the movie is going to end with them playing together and they're not going to tackle him. They're not going to. Uh, OK, did I get this right? Is that the 50 50? What happens to him and on the. Because one of the players knocks him on his ass, and then his uh, his assistant goes up to him and is like, he said no 50-50s. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I don't know what that means. Oh, I didn't catch that. Um, I mean, to give a an example I could make, though, like the in sparring for boxing and like MMA and shit, they'll tell you for sparring, like, go 30%. Like, that's the type of shit they'll say there. So I didn't catch the interaction here, but I... I could make an allusion to or deduce kind of what the the meaning is. I mean, I, I, I from the context, I understood that uh, they were not supposed to knock their manager out. And, th- and then go to the locker room and just make fun of him maliciously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it dead? It's Dead Poet Society where all the students stand on the desk, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, you you I were think hoping that's... that that's how this was going to end? Well, I think that's like what Tom Hooper wanted you to think his movie was going to is, you know. <laughs> cloth at the end you know i believe that i am oh captain my captain that type of thing. oh manager by manager yes exactly uh, go back to 1969 they're now in the same league they get absolutely just trounced by leads i think it was 5-0 which is uh and beyond a shutout in the world of football uh they end up playing again this i have in my notes here this is just Moneyball. Which of course, Moneyball came out three years after, or four years afterwards. So it'd be the other way around. But it's literally the scene from Moneyball where Brad Pitt's like in the gym. The only difference is here that Michael Sheen's in his office, just listening to the crowd reaction. So and that's you know, does that make Timothy Spall the Jonah Hill character? I guess, yeah. The brains behind the operation, right? Because he's uh, because there's the guy. There's even the scene where he like tries to talk sense into him of like, I think you're making a really bad decision by doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think the difference is that this movie, the one thing that this movie does that Moneyball didn't do when it came to that relationship is that there was never, uh, I never felt like there was a bromance between Pitt and Hill in that movie. 
whether that's good or bad, I mean, we can just just listen to our Moneyball episode if you want to know how I feel about that. But in this movie, I, I, there is they very much set up the the fact that there's this deep friendship between Timothy Spall and Michael Sheen, but they also set up that in the future, you know, because we keep going back and forth between the the well, I guess the present and the past, and in the present, they're not friends anymore, and so it has that question of like what happened, right? It's it's uh it's the beginning of Carlito's way. <laughs> When we did a patron, it's like, what happened to Pacino? How do we get to this point? And uh, as the movie goes, I mean, I found that that was the one thing I latched on to. It was like, I don't care about soccer. I don't care about these players. I don't really care about Sheen. But I kind of feel bad for for Timothy Spall, who's just, you know, trying really hard to be the voice of reason here. And, uh, and seems to be the only one that has any sort of strategy when it comes to running this team. And so I want to know what happened that made them just have a falling out you know why isn't he with him in the in the in present day and uh i gotta say that by the time that we get that answer it was kind of uh it was underwhelming i think that the movie let me build it up in my head for way too long and so it got to the point where the reveal was never going to be what i expected was that your experience were you just running wild with theories of what might have happened within timothy spall and uh michael sheen while you were watching this movie yeah it was obviously there was going to be like a fracture and there's even the part coming up where he calls him and he's just like don't don't call this number again yep. <laughs> i mean that is that's some hardcore stuff you're like what what happened and then when you find out it's just kind of like oh oh okay i mean I, i've had those kind of arguments with my friends and then we had a couple of years and we got over it didn't have to grovel for it <laughs> but this go around they actually beat them uh two to one which is obviously exciting for everyone involved uh Darby beating Leeds, that is. Uh, we get another montage that shows them rising through the ranks. Uh, same thing, interspersed with uh, non-fictional and fictional footage alike. Get a clip of Muhammad Ali talking to Brian Cloth at home, talking about running his mouth. We get Michael Sheen saying he's going to fight Muhammad Ali, which in another life probably would have been very entertaining <laughs> in, in some capacity. First game in Leeds goes terribly. And uh, the star player, the captain of the team, uh, Billy Bremner, gets suspended for, what is it, six weeks or something? Um, Seven weeks? Six weeks. Eleven games. Yeah. Yeah. And fined, you know, 500 pounds. Uh, And this guy, played again by Stephen Graham, Bremner just has no love at all for Cloth. And we find out a little bit more about their relationship here shortly. Um, At what point did you lose faith in uh, Michael Sheen's ability to run this team? Um, Because this was was it for me. (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to think about it, and I think you're right, because this is like he needs to win over Bremner or win over the rest of the crew, and then he just can't do it. Like, he tries to stay behind and, like, talk to him, and, like, it just doesn't work. He just, like, walks right out of the the meeting room, and so... it seems like a lost cause at this point. Yeah, I, I think that the, his problem, and it, this is where I don't understand. I, I guess I'm not sure if the movie is expecting me to be sympathetic toward him and go like, oh, this poor guy, you know, he's he's trying so hard and everybody's against him. Or, or if I'm supposed to go like, he's such an idiot, he's doing everything wrong. Because he comes in really strong when he first takes over leads and he's talking shit on TV and, you know, he, like you said, he gives his players like an ultimatum. He's like, we're going to play clean. And then they disobey him. They disrespect him. They don't care at all. And he never enforces his rules. 
Like I was, mm-hmm. I kept waiting for him to just say, "All right, well, you're not gonna play by my rules, then uh, you're not gonna play at all." And uh, instead, he just keeps engaging with these people that don't respect him and that don't follow his his lead. And uh, even when he brings new players, I mean, it's still not. He's still catering to to you know the bad apples in the team. So I I found that his he was all bark and no bite basically and that was extremely frustrating <laughs> because i would have preferred a movie that was about this guy that was really trying and and still you know it was like a, a real competition between him trying to win the players and the players being uh just resistant to it but here it was a guy that was just he was all talk never he never did anything to to win them over really so it, it was just i don't know not as engaging not at all and he has no more friends cuz this is where he calls Timothy Spall and Spall's just like fuck off, and he you know he does the lose this number thing. And <laughs> we go back just to the previous year, 1973, when they're matched up against Leeds once again, and this is kind of like the Art Howe Billy Bean showdown in Moneyball, where Sam Longson, chairman, tells him, "Hey, we've got you know European Cup coming up, and." He tells him, just put in like our second string against these guys. And the obsession that Cloth has to beat Leeds, he's like, no, we're going to put in all our star players. And then Leeds just comes in and beats the absolute fuck out of him. <laughs> Bremner specifically he even tells him, good luck in uh, Europe and winks at him or some shit. Uh, they suffered injuries just completely along the way. And then they go and Italy beats them three to one. And from there, Cloth blames everyone else but himself for not listening to reason in the previous game. And this is so traumatic that Timothy Spall has a damn heart attack. Poor Timothy Spall. He says that he's been having the heart attack the entire weekend. <laughs> yes. Did you think that this was it? The, I, I, that was my thought. I was like, oh, is this why they broke up? Because- well, kind of, because he's you know laying in bed recuperating, and he just wants to keep talking about sp- fucking the, the team with him, <laughs> the club. And he's just like, please. <laughs> I almost Brian, died. I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where he concocts the harebrained scheme of uh, we're going to tender our resignations. They won't go for it, and then they'll kind of give us what we want, and they'll move some parts around, and we'll come out the other side of this, you know, for the better. <laughs> As he's explaining this plan, you can see in the background, Timothy Spall is having another heart attack. Yeah, he's looking at him like, no, no, you don't need to do this. Please, God, no. And and so he does anyway, and they just completely call his bluff, and it costs them both their jobs. And Timothy Spall's just, you know, recuperating from a heart attack. He's probably on med still and can't, you know, get too excited about anything. He's lost his job. The passion of the Spall, that's that's what this movie is. He uh, he keeps He's a long-suffering friend. And yet, this is not the breakup. I think that if anything was going to be like the, the the big breakup, it would have been a lot more poignant, I think, if it happened here, where he just goes, listen, Michael Sheen, you're my buddy. We've been through a lot. But if I keep, if I stay with you, I'm going to die. So no hard feelings. Because then it's not, it's a surprise. It's not what you expected, right? It wasn't a big blowout. It was more like, I'm still your friend, but I, my health is suffering. My health won't allow me. So... And then it recontextualizes, you know, when he tells him, don't call this number again, it's because, don't call this number again because I can't handle the stress. It's not that I'm mad at you, it's just that if I want to survive, if I want to live to see my grandchildren, I need to, I can't keep uh, working with you. Uh, but no, that's not what happens. <laughs> he, he recovers. So here, 
to kind of consolidate it. Uh, Cloth is outraged when the directors accept their resignations and ban them from entering the baseball ground again, although Cloth later sneaks in as a supporter. Darby fans' protests raise Cloth's hopes of being reinstated, and he is backed by the majority of his players as well, but former player Dave McKay is appointed manager instead. Darby fans quickly lose interest, and Cloth loses all hope of getting his job back. He and Taylor then offer jobs at Britain and Hove Albion. They agree to take the jobs after taking an all-expenses-paid holiday to Majorca. Is that how you pronounce that? Uh, Mallorca? I don't know. They went, like, south. I think that's... They went to the beach. The movie stops (laughs) so that we we can see them take a vacation. It stops like this is Tom Hooper getting revenge on where he came from because he's like, see, the sun comes out in other places of the world. <laughs> During that trip, though, someone from Leeds comes out to him and says, hey, how would you like to come work for us? And then it leads to a huge blow up between him and Timothy Small. This is what splits them apart as it turns into here is it's worded a bitter quarrel before they go their two separate ways. Because to be fair, at this point, um, I was completely behind Timothy Small because he's a man of his word. Yep. Because with the other club, they had just, you know, a handshake agreement. They hadn't signed anything yet. And now, you know, Brian's just obsessed with the idea of going there and taking them to heights that were never seen uh, with Revy just to, you know, stick in his craw, that type of thing. And Timothy Spall's just like, no, you can <laughs> you can do that. I'm not going to. I One of my earlier notes here said that this was like uh, the boring British version of the social network. And this would be the big blowout, you know, towards the end. Ooh, good call. Like, you better lawyer up, asshole. Like Timothy Spall is too classy to to get to go that far, but they they say some pretty nasty things to each other, and uh, I'm like, all right. I mean, I I buy it. I don't think it's as as good as my idea of him just doing it for health reasons, but. Uh, all right, whatever. You know that that was a problem of building it up for so long. You know that I like I said this was never going to live up to what I had thought of what their big fight was going to be about. I thought that maybe um, Michael Sheen was going to like stab him in the back, and I guess he kind of does in the sense that you know he backs out on a deal that they made together. But it, it's still not as dramatic as I thought. Oscar clips all around, though. I mean, definitely they both <laughs> they both go big on this one. Oh yes. You're the shop window. I grant you that. The razzle and the bloody dazzle. But I'm the goods in the back. <laughs> and without me, without somebody to save it from yourself, Brian fucking Clough, you're not just half. You're nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Don't make me laugh. What does that make you then, Taylor? Something. You're half of nothing. Nothing's parasite. A big fat pilot fish that feeds on nothing. A bloody nobody! The forgotten man! History's fucking afterthought! Yeah, they definitely go for it. And then, you know, Hooper's behind the camera with a single tear of that wide shot, you know, of the <laughs> water in the background, and Timothy or, um, and Michael Sheen acts like he's going to run after Timothy Spall, but then thinks better of it. It's classic. Uh, back in real time, Leeds goes 0-2 and, and then 0-3, and, and Cloth is hitting absolute rock bottom. And he, in another scene from Moneyball, he drunkenly calls uh, <laughs> Revy in the middle of the night. And he's just like, you must be so happy. And uh, fucking Call Meany has like my favorite line of the movie here. He's just like, where's your dignity? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, pull yourself together, man. And that's from the viewer at home. Like, we want to like this Brian character, but he's just, 
coming across as an absolute loser. Yeah. By now, though, I mean, oh, maybe halfway through the movie. Maybe maybe this is something that you figured out and I didn't because I'm not into sports. What is what is his value? Is it just that he's a front man? Is it, is it just like how he behaves in front of the camera? Because, you know, they talk about his managerial style and I just don't see it. Or is it's just a failing of the movie that it doesn't let me see it. Like, I don't know what he brings to the table. I, I, I can see that uh, leads, obviously, the leads players reject anything that he even tries to do, right? But uh, mm-hmm. but even when he was a Darby, like, he couldn't tell you what he did. Like, all he did was tell uh, uh, Timothy Spall, hey, get me new players. And, yeah. and you know, basically just throw money at whatever problem he had and say, yeah, don't worry, I'm going to talk the chairman into it. And But that was it. But as far as, like, strategy or uh, any sort of uh, planning or, or, you know, insight that he brought into the team, like, I don't... I don't get it, and I thought that maybe the movie was going to end with everybody acknowledging that. That it was like, oh yeah, you know, he's he's nothing without Timothy Spall, and on he's really he's not a good manager. He's just a guy that's really good in front of the cameras, and that he's really good mm-hmm. at kind of like seizing opportunities. But by the time we get to the end of the movie, and we'll get there, I mean, it's not the movie. Kind of seems to agree that the the, the movie kind of seems to argue that he is the greatest thing in. British history since I don't know tea and biscuits. Do you, do you agree? I mean, do you am, am I wrong? If you had to describe his his style, his managerial style, what is it? Yeah, the movie definitely does it. Um, the movie doesn't lead you to water in that realm. It basically says you just need to believe me. Tom Hooper says, <laughs> just believe me. This guy did a good job. I mean, it shows that he knew what he was doing in some aspects, but it also shows that a lot of his success came with Timothy Spall with um pete taylor so i think that is what is highlighted much more than what his successes as a coach are because he's fucking done here now at this point it's been six weeks with leads and they call him in and they're starting at the bottom of the barrel the dead last for the season they're in and then one last time bremner just fucks him he's like well if <laughs> Brian could leave the room. Maybe we'd feel more comfortable saying things. About it. And then, of course, they just bury him. And, uh, you know, one of the guys that's been with Brian forever asks, you know, what's going on, boss? And he's like, same two words that every that end every story, the fucking end. It's like, that's three words, you dumb shit. <laughs> this is why you're losing your job. That's one of the easiest jokes to make, and I always take it, is when someone says, I got two words for you, and then puts fucking or something in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Get three words, you idiot. <laughs> such low-hanging fruit. Uh, but it's all over. Uh, Brian's done. Uh, he does get his money on the way out. He gets paid. Tells them, okay, it's just going to cost you. So you get to do that? I didn't know. I thought that he was kidding. Like When you get fired, you don't get to make demands, right? Or is it because they're buying him uh, out of his contract? I think it would be that, that they're buying him out of his contract. It depends on how you're doing it. Because they don't tell him straight up, you're fired. They're just like, this isn't working. And it's not you. It's us. Just kidding. It's you. It's like that Seinfeld where they asked George to leave the company, and he won't, but they can't fire him. So he just like, <laughs> they keep trying to like bully him out of leaving. That's kind of like what this is. I just imagine if Brian Cloth had stayed, you know, they just... Put sugar in his gas tank, <laughs> cut holes in his clothes, you know, put nair in his shampoo, that type of thing. But he's like, all right, well, I'll leave. It's just going to cost you. So good for him on that. And 
before they leave town, him and his sons that he brought with them, they're going to go. Where's his wife and his other kid? He had three kids. Uh, <laughs> I honestly, I, in the back of my head, I'm thinking his wife just left him. I mean, it makes sense. But on the way out, he's going to do. Um, fuck, what was the TV show they did? Well, I don't know what he thought he was going to do, but he ends up in Mori. He ends up doing uh, one last interview with Yorkshire Television. And Julio, as you joked, ends up like a scene on Maury as he's absolutely blindsided by the presence of Don Revy. <laughs> uh, they just kind of get into a uh, you know, back and forth, a verbal joust, so to speak, about their coaching styles, them as human beings. Uh, eventually, Cloth just tells him, you know, this is why I don't like you. You didn't shake my hand. <laughs> and there's this part where, like, the cameraman looks at the interviewer and then, like, the guy holding the boom mic, and they're all, they have this look of, like, God, children, can we wrap this up? <laughs> this is where uh, the movie lets the audience know that this was all over a handshake. And just listen, we just wasted your time for an hour and 45 minutes, an hour and 37 minutes. To um, be fair, wars have been started over less. Men are very fragile characters. Yeah, but they were they were wars. They were interesting. Yes. This was just, we just saw this dude parade himself uh, with absolutely no talent in front of a camera and in front of like these teams. And it was just because his ego got bruised. And I don't know, like on one hand, I like, I give the British props for being classy because uh, it's not like they set uh, Michael Sheen up in a way where, you know, they got him to start talking shit about Cole Mini. And then they brought Colmini out. It's like, well, let's see who we have here. No, they they start with the two of them there, uh, which was mm. which was good. But then it kind of feels like they, like, what was the the point of this interview? Like, what was the what was the end goal? What were they expecting was going to happen? Yeah, everyone just feels kind of dirty about themselves when it's over. It's just like <laughs> <laughs> the ratings were good, but we've lost a little. Yeah, piece exactly. Of our soul. Like. When you your your selection of porn is a bit too questionable and it's over and you're like, well, I, I it's done, but I don't know at what cost. It did the job, but I'm not going to exactly. tell anyone about this. Uh, I do like that they all leave afterwards and we just see uh, Michael Sheenkloth there just completely alone. And I think that, again, subtlety is not the key uh, to Tom Hooper's filmmaking, but I think in that situation it works for him. After the interview, he decides they're going to go pay Uncle Pete a visit. Not his wife, as she probably doesn't exist. So they go to Brighton to patch things up with uh, Pete Taylor. And this is where I think it's somewhat of a vindication for Timothy Spall being the guy we're cheering for the whole time. He basically gets to call the shots. And he tells Michael Sheen to get down on his knees and grovel. And says he feeds him the line, I apologize unreservedly for being a twat. And... Michael Sheen says, I apologize for being a twat. He interjects unreservedly. And they, I think Timothy Spall forgives him a little too easily, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially because as they are embracing, Spall acknowledges that this is probably going to happen again. You know what I mean? It's not like this yeah, This yeah. this apology, this interaction ends with Spall finally on top where he righteously belongs. And now he's going to be the alpha in this relationship. No, it ends with him saying, like, I know you're going to fuck me over. And I know that you don't mean to, but it's going to happen anyway. But what the hell? I love you. <laughs> and then Someday by Sugar Ray starts playing. <laughs> and we go into uh, the fun credits. 
where we get mm-hmm. to compare what the what the real people look like versus the the actors that portray them. And uh, what do you know? Uh, Pete, what's his name? Looks nothing like Timothy Spall. That and also we get to see just how throbbing Tom Hooper's erection was for Brian Cloth because yep. he the closing title card is Brian Cloth remains the greatest manager the England team had never had. <laughs> it's like all right, it's a bit subjective since there's no actual evidence to back that up. That's just kind of because he never was he never coached England. Also, so. the, the entire movie was about how terrible he was as a manager. <laughs> uh, Tom Hooper. I think this is a classic case of you almost got it, but not quite. <laughs> and that you know the de-evolution of his film career has been that it's like oh you almost had it, but not. And then now we're at a point of just like, dude, you don't even know what the point is anymore. Is <laughs> he just like Tom Hooper finished this, and he's like, guys, sports are hard. Let's just do something else. You guys ever heard of that king that had a stutter? <laughs> I'm thinking Colin Firth. <laughs> And we can drag it out an extra 40 minutes or so. Uh, hey, Timothy, you want to play Churchill? I'll ride you in at the end. <laughs> oh, man. So that was uh, The Damned United. Did you learn anything, Julio? Did you feel like you learned anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. I I feel like I, I... Here's my big takeaway. Rugby is not the only violent sport in England. And this is relevant to the French Travaganza. Okay, real talk. Did you not know that soccer is like a brutal sport? No. Oh, wow. Like, I know it can be brutal accidentally. I didn't realize that soccer was the one where, like, you get to punch people and, you know, people celebrate you for it and and then things keep yeah. going. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't happen too often, but it's definitely a very tension-filled and at times volatile sports that that's just kind of surprising to me no like i you know i knew about the like the hooligans and i know that that you know i i know from movies the stereotype of the really violent angry british sports fan but i didn't realize that it was like that it was also on the field i thought it was a gentleman's sports (laughs) and on that note i feel it's uh time that we move along to real talk julio let's do that Conclusion, love and marriage, love and marriage. 